Let me begin by saying good morning again and welcome, not only to those of you who are here, but a special greeting to those of you joining us by video right now. Some of you in our contemporary service and you're joining us online or on TV, thanks for being here on this journey that we're all sharing together. We're, we're in this kind of longer journey right now that's called Restored. And we're learning to be restored by the power of God's Spirit at work in our lives, restored to the fullness of life that God made us for, restored in relationship with God, knowing the good and beautiful God whom we meet in Jesus, and being set free to live the good and beautiful life in the way of Jesus that Jesus invites us into. Here in this second part of our restored journey called the good and beautiful life, we've been learning about the attitudes and actions and behaviors, some of which bind us up and cause us to live lives that are less than God intends for his human creatures to live, and instead to be changed in our hearts by the power of God's Spirit to live a truly good and beautiful life. And today, in particular, in the next step of our reading through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we are learning to live without greed. Have you guys ever, do you, have you ever heard that old story? It's kind of a funny story about the two captains who saw each other across the water at night and one sees the light across the water and realizes that they're on a collision course and he, he gets on the radio and says, this is Captain Hancock, I advise you to avert your course 15 degrees to the south. And the other captain calls back and he says, I advise you to adjust your course 15 degrees to the north. And the first guy goes again, no, this is Captain Hancock and I tell you, you must avert your course 15 degrees to the south. And the first guy goes, I'm not able to do that. We're, we're staying right here. You must avert your course. The first guy goes again, this is Captain Montana. This is the USS Montana, the largest naval warship in the North Atlantic fleet. I will take measures necessary to protect my ship. You must adjust your course 15 degrees to the south. And the other guy goes, this is a lighthouse. Your call. <laughs> it's important to deal with reality, Right? And, and I tell you that story because I think that, because it's one of my favorites, that's probably why. I tell you that story because I think sometimes the teachings of Jesus about life that we hear, we think of them as maybe being sort of like this arbitrary, additional, religious add-on package to what actually life is really about. And what I'd like to suggest to you is that the teachings of Jesus we've been learning from week after week and today are really a reflection of reality. That they are the insight into the nature of the human heart and the character and ways of human relationships. And that we honestly are free to ignore them if we'd like to. We can make that choice. But when we do, we shouldn't be surprised when we kind of run up on the rocks when we run aground. Or we can listen to this teaching and go, you know what? There's a lighthouse out there. And it might be okay for me to adjust my course a little bit and sail into smooth waters. And I think, I know it feels awkward, and if you're new here today, you're like, oh, they're talking about money in church again. That's what I thought they talk about all the time. It's really not. But it is a really important part of life. And it's a part of life, like others, where sometimes we're sailing on the rocks and we're running aground. And I think it's good for us to hear some insight about reality and be able to adjust our course as needed. And when it comes to the way that we handle financial resources in our life, a lot of us are sailing choppy waters. Surveys show that financial stress is one of the largest stresses in our lives here in this culture. It causes a lot of us a lot of pain and anxiety, a lot of stress. Uh, other studies show what a significant amount of conflict in marriage is caused by financial conflict. The financial conflict for married people is one of the largest sources of conflict in a marriage and one of the greatest factors leading to divorce. We're sailing in choppy waters, right? Whether you're married or not, a lot of us in our society are in debt way over our heads. 
which strictly from a financial perspective is very problematic and very challenging. But at another level, even a deeper level, not only is it a problem for us that we don't really know how we're going to get out, but I'm at least as troubled by the reality that many of us don't even know how we got in. What, what, what was happening in our hearts and in our heads that leads us to this place? And even if we could get out, would we just go back there again? Or challenging for me, and I don't know if you think about this very much, but it, it's a troubling reality to me that no matter how much most of us have, and people have lots of different levels of resource, we've been in different careers and investments, and some of us have quite a bit more and quite a bit less than others, but no matter how much we have in our society, almost everybody spends almost everything they have on themselves. And we don't really live in much of a culture of sharing and mutual concern for one another. And I think there's choppy waters. I think there's rocks that we're in danger of running up against there. We've set our sails in one direction, but it may be that there's some truth out there that'd be very helpful for us to reckon with. And I think that the teaching that we heard once, and I wanna review with you in just a minute, is a teaching from Jesus that has, as I said at the beginning, some deep insight into the ways of the human heart, into the character of relationships, into those things that actually make for a good and beautiful life that helps restore us to the lives that God intends for us and helps us not to settle for less than that. So let's just take a look again at this teaching from Jesus and remind ourselves of what he said, and let's try to unpack that a little bit. In Matthew chapter 6, in the middle of a big block of teaching that Christians over the years have come to call the Sermon on the Mount because it says that Jesus was on a hillside and he, he taught his followers and the crowds that began to gather. And in this section of that teaching, he instructed his followers, don't store up for yourselves, don't chase after or invest in treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy. Or some older translations said moths and rust destroy. Things that wear out our treasures on earth where thieves break in and steal, right? Things are so insecure, you could lose this. But rather, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. And why is that? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I almost feel like I'm hearing from Jesus, hey, fair warning, rocks ahead, clear water over here. Jesus discusses two different kinds of treasure. He talks about treasure on earth, and treasure in heaven. Let's talk about treasure on earth, first of all, and why it would be that Jesus would warn us about this. That you're gonna, if you invest in treasures on earth, those things will not deliver to you the life that you think they will, the life that you've been led to believe they will, the the measure of joy and happiness and satisfaction that you really think will come. Jesus says, it's actually all at risk. And And I'm warning you, don't invest your treasure there. Not only is it dangerous that you're just gonna waste your treasure, but your heart's gonna go there. I don't want your heart to sail into the rocks. I don't want it in choppy water. I don't want it to run aground. Don't invest there. Now, by illustration of kind of what this means, I want to share with you something that is probably about a couple of months ago. I was driving back to my office from somewhere across town, and I had some talk radio on, and I, I was hearing an interview with a guy whose name is Michael Norton. I don't know if any of you have heard his name. or read. He wrote a book recently. He was co-author of a book called Happy Money. Uh, it might be an oxymoron to some people, a book called Happy Money. He's an associate professor, I think, of business and economics at Harvard, and they wrote this book, he and another researcher wrote this book trying to understand the relationship between what we possess and how we use what we possess and what that means for our experience of happiness and joy in life. And I was so compelled by what I was hearing, it was so interesting to me, I got back to the office and I'm one of those people who turns the car off, opens the door and jumps out all in one move, you know, if any of you are like that. I just parked the car and sat there in the parking lot for a little while and heard what I thought was this really fascinating confirmation or corroboration of what I've learned from Jesus about how treasure on earth and 
treasure in heaven works. And I want to just share with you a couple examples by way of illustration. One thing he said at the beginning of this was, in our research, what we found is there's actually very little, a little bit, a little bit of positive correlation between how much we earn or how much we have and how happy we are, right? But it only works for a little while. So for example, from the time that a, that a household makes about $25,000 in annual household income, and I don't know where everybody's at, but that's not a high number. There's a, a lot of strain at that number. From $25,000 in annual household income to $55,000 in annual household income, there's about a 9% increase in overall life satisfaction happiness. Now that's a move in the positive direction, but I bet you thought it'd be bigger than that. I would have thought it'd be bigger than that, because across that span, a lot of things get easier in life. Access to stable housing, food, transportation, all kinds of things. But what's really interesting, he said, is that as you get beyond that, it flattens out. And somewhere around $75,000 in annual household income, more money is not correlated with greater happiness. Now, it doesn't make you less happy, right? It just doesn't really do anything for you anymore. And what's really interesting, I thought, was they did some further study, and they asked people, if, if your life is like a seven or an eight, uh, happy, you know, you're pretty happy in life, what would it take to make you a 10? How much money do you think it would take to make you happy? And nearly everybody at every income level, so any of us in this room, on average, says a number that's about three times where you're at right now, right? So if you're at that 70,000 level or something, you're talking about like 200 a year, I'd be set, right? That'd be good. Or if you're at that 200 a year level, I think if I made a half a million dollars, five, 600,000, that would set me up. If you're at a half a million dollars a year, you're like, about a million and a half is probably what it takes to make me happy. And what the study showed is that even people who didn't like come into wealth but made their way up and who used to be three times less wealthy than they are and before that three times less wealthy than that still think that three times more is the magic number, right? We tell ourselves these lies and we believe them and it doesn't work. I think that's fascinating, right? Why do we believe stuff like that that doesn't actually work out in reality, that's not demonstrably true? Then he went on and said, that, that's sort of your earning side. What about the stuff that you buy? Now, for most people, the, the biggest purchases that we make in our lifetime, this probably isn't true for everybody, but for most people, is probably our house or our houses, perhaps, and our vehicles, whether those are cars or here in Minnesota, perhaps water-based vehicles, right? Our houses and our vehicles. And, he said, and, and I, wanna, I actually brought along a little clip of this, so I want you to hear how he said it, that those things actually don't increase our happiness in life, which is troubling to me in some ways, and I'll explain why in a minute, but let me just have you listen to this for a second. When we ask people, how do you spend your money every month? All of us spend most of our money on stuff for ourselves. And of course we do. We need a roof over our head. We need clothes. We need the basics of life. But if you look at the data, we spend a little more of our money on stuff for ourselves than we might need to. And there's nothing wrong with buying stuff for yourself. It doesn't make you unhappy. Stuff for yourself is in this world, actually, just like uh, more money is in this world. Stuff for yourself doesn't make you unhappy, but it doesn't pay off in more happiness. Here's a hurtful fact, for some of you at least. The size of your house is completely uncorrelated with how happy you are with your life. Completely uncorrelated. How nice your car is, is completely uncorrelated with how happy you are with your life. They're super correlated with how happy you are with your house and with your car. <laughs> We're not crazy. A nice house is better than a not nice house. But they don't change our overall feeling about our life. And the problem with that is the two biggest purchases that most people ever make are their house and their vehicle. 
which means the most money we ever use on something in the world is this world of not making us any happier. I'm going to come back in a little bit. Now, now that thought has been messing with my head for the last couple of months since I heard it as a corroboration of what Jesus was teaching here about what treasures on this earth really do. And the part of it that really messes with me is the idea that you actually can be happier about your house or about your car, whatever the example might be in that case. And I, I was thinking about this and how, like, for some of us, if our cars are really messed up right now, we're feeling really happy about that. And for some of us who just bought newer cars, we're like, oh, man, why did I do that? But what messes with my head is how is it possible that we can be happier about these individual components of our lives, big pieces, and yet not have that make an impact on how happy we are about life? Doesn't that, it's that a little counterintuitive, isn't it? And I think the reason for that is because those things, they, they don't contribute to stronger relationships in our lives, right? Things that make our quality of life better. If you're a married person, the quality of your car doesn't contribute to a holier marriage. If you have children, these things don't contribute to healthier children. They don't make you laugh more. They don't cultivate generosity of spirit. They don't create deep and meaningful conversations and relationship with other people. All the things that actually do give strength and meaning and joy and substance to the fabric of our lives, these are outside those things. So I guess it actually makes sense that they don't contribute to the overall quality of our life. But so many of us, myself included, have a really hard time matching our expectations with reality. When, when I drive around town, I don't know if any of you ever do this. You don't have to admit to it if you do. When I drive around town, when I run around through other neighborhoods, I don't ride my bicycle around town, I do some cycling. A lot of times I go, man, it'd be really cool to live there. That'd be awesome. And I'm starting to think to myself, actually, it wouldn't make things any more awesome than they already are. And we're in the middle of replacing one or both of our vehicles right now. And man, we were on the car lot recently, and I was telling the guy, hey, I think we're looking for a new minivan. And then we walked out, and right in front of me was this bright yellow, and I went, and by minivan, I went Camaro. Actually, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> and then we just kept right on walking, right? But you got to go through this calculus in your head. you got you to redo the math. You've been learned, this does not actually make my life better. Now, okay, so that has to do with how we earn and how we spend and treasure on this earth and what doesn't work for us and these truth bombs that have to blow up, stuff that I think most of us believe and act on on a regular basis. But Jesus said there actually are treasures you should invest in. There are things you should chase after. He said kingdom of heaven treasure, treasures in heaven. Now that phrase, treasures in heaven, I think is pretty easy to misunderstand. It might in our minds conjure up images of like a bank account in heaven that we're building up that we can make withdrawals on later. So, like we, so that'll help us maybe get into heaven or make heaven a cool place when we get there for us. We'll have a better house than everybody else in heaven or whatever it is that we think. That's not at all what Jesus was talking about. When Jesus uses the, phrase, the term or the word heaven in these teachings, he's usually talking about the kingdom of heaven or just another way to say it in the teachings of the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus came to announce. The world isn't the way it used to be. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. So turn around from whichever way you were going and believe this good news. Conform your life to the reality that God is actually bringing into being. When we talk about treasure in heaven, I think we're talking about kingdom of heaven treasure. Treasuring the things that God treasures. And at first that might sound like really way out there, like what does God treasure? But when you know God in Jesus, when you meet the good and beautiful God, this is almost a no-brainer. It's so obvious. God treasures people. Jesus walked around this earth treasuring people, embodying God's love for people. 
for children people and old people, for black people and white people, for Gentile people and Jewish people, for rich people and poor people, for men people and women people, for you people and me people. God treasures people. And when we use our resources to treasure what God treasures, when we invest our resources in the treasures of heaven, we find that we do experience greater joy, greater goodness and beauty in life. And I don't know that we needed social science to back this up for us, but it does. <laughs> that same research that we were just hearing, they did some really creative experiments on how people use money and what that connects to joy in their lives. And they found that when people buy stuff for themselves, it doesn't actually make them any happier. But when people spend their money in such a way that it strengthens their relationships, it makes them happier when they invest in people, when they have dinner with people, when they go to concerts or museums with people and talk about it afterward, when they share experiences or trips with people and it builds their relationships. When they invest in people, it actually brings more joy to their lives. And they did some really creative experiments on generosity, on giving money away, which is sometimes kind of hard for us to let stuff out of our hands. We worked really hard for it. We think it'll bring us more joy if we keep it. They found that just the opposite is true. And they did experiments in Canada and the U.S. and North America and Africa, across the world, at income levels that are terribly low, at income levels that are medium and high. And everybody experiences more joy when they give stuff away when it's direct giving to other people, when it's giving to charities and churches, and I know you think I'm supposed to say that, and maybe I am, but I'm not saying it because I'm supposed to. I'm saying it because it's true. Because Jesus said it to us, social scientific research corroborates it for us, that when we invest in people, when we treasure what God treasures, this is what brings the greatest joy in life. Why don't we do that? Right? It's kind of a no-brainer. When the research backs it up, Jesus told us the Son of God gives us this insight into the human heart. It says rocks over here, sailing over here. We keep setting our sails over here. I think maybe we act irrationally with our physical resources, with our money, for the same reason we act irrationally any other time. Because of fear. Because we're afraid that we're going to miss out because we're afraid that we're alone and we have to make life good by ourselves. That we might not have enough, we might not make enough joy for ourselves, and so we grasp after stuff. And it doesn't work, but that just means that we need to grasp harder. And we just pursue more treasure in this world. Have you ever noticed that when you're looking for joy, when you're trying to produce joy by getting more stuff, there's a word that characterizes your life. It characterizes my life when I do this. And that word is more I need more. And there's this insatiable, gaping desire for more that can't be filled up. I need more stuff. I need to accumulate more. I need bigger balances. I need bigger toys. I need bigger houses. I just need more. We're living out of fear. But what if we weren't living from fear of missing out and fear of being alone and fear that we're never going to have enough? What if instead of living from fear, we were living from the security of God's love? What if we knew who we are all throughout this series, we've been saying, what if we knew that we were children of God in whom Christ dwells, and we already live in the unshakable kingdom of God? We already have all that makes for joy, a relationship with God, a secure identity, membership and community in the family of God that you can't take away from us. If we knew that and we could live from being loved and for love for others, the word in our life would change from a more that can never be satisfied to an enough that already brings peace? What if you could move from more to enough? 
And instead of all this accumulation and all this craving for more, instead our lives would be characterized by contentment, peace, fullness, generosity, and love toward others. We would instead be chasing after the treasures of the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus told us, this, when you, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I'm warning you about where the rocks are, and I'm telling you where the water is. What I'd like to do is sort of challenge you with this troubling question this week. I'd like you to take this home, and there's not a law. This is not a law that we live from. Christians aren't people who know, well, it's wrong to have this much resources. It's wrong to earn this. It's wrong to buy this. It's wrong. That's not what it's about. It's not about a law. It's about an invitation to discernment. It's about an invitation to ask this troubling question. Why? When you make financial decisions this week, Maybe you're somebody who has a sense of the big picture. You're a budgeter. You know how everything goes. You know where your resources are and where your assets are and how they flow. Take a look at that and ask, why do I do it the way that I do it? Or maybe you just kind of live from moment to moment, decision to decision. Just ask yourself about individual decisions. Why am I making this purchase? Why am I attracted to this? Why do I feel this way about this asset or this product or this experience that I want to have? Am I treasuring stuff of this earth that's eventually just going to break my heart, certainly not bring me any more joy in the long run? Or am I believing that I am loved and I'm treasuring the things of the kingdom of heaven? Am I being played by my fears? Am I living from fear? Or am I living from love? Am I chasing the treasures on this earth? Or am I chasing after treasure of heaven? And I think when you do that, it, it changes how you look at stuff. It's such a different way to live. It's most people who have any kind of religious or faith commitment, we, we keep all of our religion and our faith in this compartment, and all the down-to-earth practical stuff like our money and our decisions over in this compartment. But what if we didn't live in two compartments? What if we lived one life? What if we lived a life where our treasure was invested in the place that we also wanted our hearts to follow? Because Jesus said, they'll go together. You should just know where it is. Where you put this, your heart will follow. And I think that kind of insight from Jesus and that kind of freedom to know that you have been treasured by God, that you have been loved by God, you know who you are and you know your unshakable identity in the kingdom of God. When we begin to live that way, it has the power to create a different kind of community. It has the power to create a different kind of life, a different character of relationship together. To take an area of our life that lives with the most stress and the most conflict and to make it an area of peace and contentment and joy, spiritually and relationally. Jesus said, don't chase after the treasures of this earth. Chase after the treasures of heaven, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's pray for the leadership and the work of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank you for Jesus, for his life, for his death, for his invitation into the kingdom of God. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would flow up from within us, that you would give us the confidence to trust the truth, and that you would lead us in your way of peace and joy. Lead us to the life that is truly good and beautiful. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.